know the music. It's not Pusha, but it is our theme song. Mm. It's Numbers on the Boards, presented by Bedgear. My name is Bobby Corella. Joining me, as always, is uh, a guy who does a little bit of everything. You might know him from the radio. You might know him from TV. You might even know him from this podcast. Hope so. But I know him as the least competitive person in the industry. That's right. His name is Jeff Skin Wade. Hey, everybody. What's up? It's me, Skin. You don't compete. That's what they say about you. Well, we currently have a podcast called The Non-Compete. Yeah, that's very on brand. It's very on brand. we don't compete. We don't compete. But we will be competing the first week of February. We'll be back in the game. Oh, is that a, is that a little breaking news? Well, uh, the Ben and Skin show will be back on radio. Okay. So the Ben and Skin podcast, The Non-Compete, is because we have a period of time called a non-compete where we can't go do radio. So it's not because you don't want to win. No, I'll tear your head off, bro. Oh. Unless I don't want to. Should I redo the open then? No, I like it. Okay. I like it because I sneak up on you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You uh, caught me by surprise. See, what's up? Yeah. Uh, And that is, that's a company man. There it is. There it is, everybody. But uh, no, we would, uh, and Ben and I both would love it if you, uh, but I should say, we cuss a lot on that podcast. So be careful. Don't listen to it with your kids unless you cuss with your kids. What if you don't have kids? Uh, Oh, then, yeah, but but you're uh, okay with cuss words? I mean, well, I don't want to say this on microphone, but Do it. yes, ah, I yeah. love to cuss. It's fun. <laughs> um, no, that's uh, did you, when was the, uh, when was the first time and maybe you never have, but do you remember the first time you cussed around your parents? Uh, on purpose? Yeah. Or no, no, no. Just slipped out or whatever, man, maybe in college. Okay. Uh, but now it's pretty, I mean, I would never, there's certain words that I won't say, uh-huh. uh, on purpose what, around them. What are they? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, now, especially during fantasy football season, yeah. whenever, you know, there may or may not be some stuff on the line, I think I get a little more permission to get a little upset Okay, when things good. don't go my way. Anger now, cussing. luckily this year, things are going my way a little more. But in, uh, in real basketball life and fantasy football life? In fantasy football. Well, yeah, I guess in basketball, too. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, Absolutely. yeah, uh, my fantasy football team. I know everybody cares how my specific personal fantasy football teams are doing. I know you've been texting me about it a lot lately. I downloaded an app to follow your team. Follow so my team? <laughs> I was wow. really wanting to Which know. Which one is your favorite? The Cobras? They're good. They're, uh, yeah. 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 They're, they're doing pretty well. Named after um, Corby. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and then uh, we have a, a league actually at work in the office uh, that I did not know that I made playoffs for. Oh, Six congrats. teams make playoffs out of ten, which I thought was a li- it's a very inclusive, which yeah. does align with our goals, of course. But um, the the name of the league is Rick's Rejects, and uh, after the coach, of course. And my team name is Harrison Barnes Question Asker because there was a time whenever Harrison Barnes was on the Mavs when Rick got upset with me because I asked so many Harrison Barnes related questions. Oh, okay. And I didn't want to say it then. But my response was, well, who else should I ask <laughs> questions about? Coach, but, uh, here's another Yogi question. Yeah. Which, by the way, we saw Yogi and Harrison yeah. the other night in the disappointing loss. It's like I'm not used to losing anymore. Mm. But Followell and I were standing in the tunnel about, whatever, an hour before the game. We're getting ready to go listen to Rick's presser. And we're having a little chit-chat. And we heard this. Just wanted to say hello to you guys. And we look up, and it's Harrison, Dude, who is one of the, the nicest, awesome – genuine realist coolest dudes 
that's ever come through here. And that's probably another reason why you're asking so many Harrison questions because everybody likes the guy. Yeah, I wanted to see. I was like personally invested in his success. Not I was only because too. it's our job, but like he's just such an easy guy to root for. Yes. Really, really nice guy. He even asked me how our podcast was going whenever this was last season. He was like, how? and I said, hey, you can come on anytime you want. Right. And he said, oh, I'm busy. And I said, oh, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, Harris. Now, I hope that they never finish better than second in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope they never go to the finals. Mm-hmm. But that, because the Mavs, of course, yeah, will that, go every Because we're not doing season. those things. They're, they're going to win the next, like, 12 championships at least, the yep. Mavs. Um, but, uh, yeah, good dude. Wish they would have lost that game, too. And, in fact, this was, Brad said this on Twitter, Brad Townsend. Uh, good follow, at TownBrad. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're following Brad Townsend. You probably should be if you're not. Yeah. Now, if you don't have Twitter, don't get one. But Brad said that had Luca been given the foul call, which he should have been, mm-hmm. it was an incorrect no call or incorrect non-call, whatever, and he made the free throws, there would have been about seven seconds left in the game or whatever it was, and the Kings still would have had a chance to win it in regulation. And my immediate response was, well, yeah, that would have been awesome because Barnes would have gone in Brea one-on-one again, and it would have been great because watching those guys battle is really fun too. So uh, we were robbed of another Harrison Barnes ISO. So of the uh, – that's a good way to look at, look at it. Or it just would have been a Bielitsa three. Maybe. As yeah, he nailed dude. one. He sa- well, he saved that shot for the next For the night Houston, Houston game. Yeah, he just loaded up on that. But yeah. So we have that game. Look, and, and it's not a, a win. It's a tie. If he gets the free throws and makes them, so we can't, mm. you know, and you don't not supposed to get down. What is it, twenty four? What they get down? Correct, uh, twenty four. And here's a quick trivia question: They were down twenty at halftime. Uh-huh. Uh, that was the ninety fifth game in Mavs history where they've trailed by at least twenty points at halftime. How many of those games have they won out of ninety five? I think it's like six. They've won two. Two. Were two they both ninety three all time? Were they both against Toronto? Uh, no. Oh. Neither of them was. One of them was against uh, oh, Minnesota. Oh, because we're talking about at halftime. Yeah, at halftime. Yeah, not, yeah. not in the course of the game. Yeah. Uh, their biggest comeback ever, I think, was against Toronto. But I think that was the day game. It was like a Saturday yeah, day game. Home. It started at like yep. 11. Yeah. Something, Something crazy. Weird. Yeah. But uh, yeah, 2-93 and 93 all the time. No, it was almost 3-92. But in fairness, uh, the officials definitely missed that call. That is on the record. But... Uh, they also missed a call against Barnes, mm-hmm. uh, against I guess against JJ Barea on Harrison Barnes. Right, that would have given him two free throws, and they missed a foul on Luca, which would have given him one. I thought it was funny that Luca actually deserved as many free throws in the last two minutes of the game as he earned <laughs> in the previous forty-six <laughs> minutes. But that is that, that is what it is. Right. I was impressed. I gotta say, I think you and I do spend kind of a fair amount of time on the show uh, lamenting people's. Um, at times, maybe like a rational passion, mm-hmm. I guess. Sure. Uh, but I was very impressed with everyone's sort of like reaction to that game. I think it was like disappointment that the team was down so much. And then as they came back, it was like, ah, they're putting up a fight. But they came up just short. Yeah. Tough game, back to back. Right. Got off to a bad start, but they did what they had to do, got back into it. Moving on. Moving I was on. I was very I was very proud of, of the fan base for that one. Yeah, and you know, maybe you were all over this, Bobby. I wasn't thinking about this going into the game, but the second set of back to backs in six days. It's tough. That's tough. Uh so you know, I, I step back from that and I go, All right, you never want to get down twenty four, but if you're looking at a set of circumstances as to why that would happen, I get it. And also Sacramento a uh, Followell and Harp were big on this during the broadcast. The manner in which Sacramento had lost their previous game to San Antonio. Did you happen to see that by any chance? 
uh, or any of that. They were up I big late. San Antonio came storming back. It goes into overtime. And then on the final possession, Sacramento has a chance. I, I can't remember if they're – I think they're down one. So it would have won if they hit a two-pointer. I think they had five shots at it. On, on the same one, possession? On the same possession. I know it was four. It may be five. Because wow. I, I, I was watching it live. Yeah. Uh, because I'm a nerd. And when it was over. Because it was research. Yeah, it was research. Sean Elliott goes, <laughs> wow, somebody had to win this game. And then he goes, I guess it just came down to the team that wanted it more. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> you know, it was like. <laughs> Even the ultimate homer and Sean Elliott was like, man, what the hell did we just watch? So, yeah. uh, Harp and follow will point that out. Dude, the manner in which they lost that game, they gave one up. Um, their season, it's funny, if you look at their injuries, I would argue that Bagley and Fox are two of their top three, if not best players, most important players, mm. right? Those two in Heald are their most important. Bielitz has been great, et cetera. But uh, and they haven't had Bagley except for a half. Yep. And Fox has missed a bunch of games, and they're still hanging into the playoff. Yeah, picture. they're after their win in Houston. I think they're a game out of eighth right now. Very impressive. They always give the Mavs troubles too. I mean, they swept them last season. Last, they yeah. won. They won three, or I think all four, whatever. However many times they I played last year, they won they them all. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, even going back to the Boogie years, whenever it was just Boogie and a bunch of dudes, they still gave the Mavs problems. Yeah. I mean, they got a lot of players like. The Mavs do struggle with stretch fours. They uh -huh. struggle against really athletic rim runners like Rashawn Holmes. Uh -huh. uh, and then, I mean, Buddy Heald, that kind of player, Heald, Booker, uh, guys who run off screens and can pull up and can really just, like, do a lot of stuff, they give the Mavs a fit. Yeah. So they have three of those guys all on one team, and, of course, those three all had huge games. I think they combined to shoot, like, 80% from the field or something. Yeah, it was so, nuts. Yeah, it was it insane. It was nuts. Uh, despite all that, they still had a chance to win. Um, it is what it is, man. You go 10 out of 11, I think you can afford to lose one game. Yeah. Um, so here in a little bit, we're at the we're at essentially the quarter mark of the year. Here in a little bit, we're going to give out some awards. I called it the quarter mark awards, but there's really none. There's no awards. It's just like thoughts. So I guess quarter mark takes okay. maybe is a better word for that. Quarter take. Yeah, yeah, quarter, ta quarter takes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but first... I want to take a little look ahead at the rest of the 2019 portion of the schedule, not the remaining uh, 60 games, just the remaining 10 games of 2019. And then uh, a little trip down uh, Mavs history lane uh, to talk about in-season acquisitions before the trade deadline, of course, coming up here in a, in a month or so. I like uh, that. Especially pertinent because Monday, I believe, is December 15th. I'm going to pull up my trusty iCal. Or maybe Sunday. The 15th is Sunday. Sunday. Okay, so Sunday is December 15th. That is uh, kind of the unofficial start of trade season in the NBA because that is when players who signed contracts this summer, for the most part, can be traded. Right. Now, there are some exceptions. Like, they're very rare, but like Bradley Beal, for example, signed an extension. He can't be traded at all this season. Uh, guys who signed one-year contracts – typically can't be traded unless they agree to it. Right. Uh, so there are some there are some exceptions to that rule, but people might uh, Matt fans may remember that would that's what happened with Darren Williams. Yes. Yes. Darren Williams had signed a one year deal mm. and so he could say yay or nay. Yeah, he, he had to sign off essentially. Right. That was the Nerlens Noel trade. Um, I think that he had to agree to. No, he didn't agree. I thought they he, just he was, he was I thought they just deal? waived D Will D Will. No, they they traded him to 
wait a minute. I think they waived. Oh yeah, D-Will. that's right because they he was on a one year deal and they could not trade him and so right. they wait and he ended up going to Cleveland. Going to Cleveland. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, that was Bogut that they traded. And yes, that, yes, they, yes, yeah, yes. Even though Bogut was on an expiring, he was on a multi-year deal. He came as a kind of a salary dump. Um, That's how we got the second round pick that exactly. we're that a lot of people are talking Follow about. Follow the days. money, man. Yeah. Follow the money. Um, so anyway, we'll talk a little bit about that because uh, trade machine is going to start firing up here pretty soon. But uh, first, we got to talk about actual basketball. Don't sleep on the season, for the love of God. This this ten game stretch skin is in many ways going to define people's moods probably for the rest of the year because uh, it is it's a pretty tough stretch of uh, schedule. If you're going to cut an NBA schedule into 10-game sort of pieces, mm-hmm. right? 10-game chunks, right? I'm not sure that you could dream up one that is more challenging than this because I, I'm going to run down it real quick. Yep. Uh, at Detroit in Mexico City, very tough place to play at altitude. Then you come home and start a five-game stretch against the top five teams in the East. Versus Miami, at Milwaukee, versus Boston, at Philly, at Toronto. Philly, by the way, undefeated at home this season. Uh, Milwaukee winners of, I think, 15 straight games. They'll never lose again. They will never lose. Until they play us. And then, uh, luckily, you do have three days off, which is pretty cool. But then you get to play the Spurs at home, never easy. At Golden State, at Lakers on a back-to-back, and then at OKC, to round out, to ring in, really, the new year to round out 2019. By the way, are the Thunder at 500 yet? They are one game under, I think. Currently, I, th- I believe, the seventh seed in the Western Conference. We told you guys at the beginning of the year, there there's no definitive teams are out except maybe Memphis. Yeah. Now, I, I didn't think that they would be this good. However, there's still, like, all the rumor articles saying they're going to end up maybe making some moves and stuff. Right. So, we'll see. But they're just – any team that's got Chris Paul is going to be tough. And Steven Adams has been in a bunch of games. Gallinari He's been in a bunch of games. Are you on the Shea Gilgis love bus? Yeah, dude, oh. he's really, really good. He is good. Really good. They he got, might be your most improved player this year. Yeah, he's in the mix for sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, that's awesome. a that's a really, really – when you sit there and you look at a schedule and go, yeah, the two easiest games are San Antonio at home and Golden State on the road. I mean, those are yeah. – <laughs> there are circumstances that are putting them there. And then I don't think anybody expected this much quality depth in the East, but there's a lot of good teams in the East. Yeah, and now there's a lot of bad teams too. And so I think that your top teams in the East generally are going to have some inflated yep. uh, win totals simply because of that. I mean, there's of Atlanta a and lot New York. of teams in the East that are losing a lot of games. Yeah. However, uh, the East – as of Monday, so today is Wednesday, so I'm missing one day's worth of games. But as of Monday, the East actually had a winning record against the West this year. How about that? Only slightly, but still. Yeah. And Milwaukee is, I mean, very, very good chance of winning 70 games. Yeah. I mean, they're really, really, really good. And, uh, yeah. Do you, do you, you know tough. how hard it is to sweep a team like Toronto? And so you're we're really the stretch going, well, we've already got them once at home. You're going to sweep Toronto yeah, this year? It was, and that was not an easy win either. No. I think it ended up being like an eight point win or something, but the math shot like 20% from three. The, I mean, the story of that game, as I remember it, is the defensive job done on Siakam. Yeah. That uh, was a lot of Dauphiny and Maxi. Yes. And, and they're going to need to kind of replicate that. Yeah, rally the. Yeah. Lowry is still out, I think. Is he not? I thought he was back. Is he back? He may be. I don't Uh, know. If he is back, he's only back as of recently. I mean, like very, very recently. Right. Uh, So we'll see if he is back. Fred Van Vliet hit, I think, every shot he took in that first game. He's tough. Um, But, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at – and it's you say it all the time, follow us says it all the time. You can't look at a schedule and sort of like pencil in your wins and losses. Yeah. but we're going to do it anyway. Cause it's <laughs> That's what uh, we do. We're but if you're looking at that five-game stretch, I think like 
at Toronto on paper is like maybe the easiest one, which mm-hmm. is insane. Insane. And that's obviously no knock against the Raptors, who have, by the way, the same exact record as the Mavs. Uh, at Philly is like almost impossible. At Milwaukee is almost impossible. Versus Miami, Miami plays hard. They sure do. They give the Mavs fits. They have shooting. They have defense. They have playmaking. They got a lot. And then versus Boston. And Boston's very challenging. Now, the Mavs beat Boston last year. Uh-huh. Uh, and and I don't know, can what I just said about Toronto, I'm going to reverse it and say the same thing. Is Boston really going to sweep the Mavs this year? Come on now. That is a that's a, it's tough to beat the same team twice. Yep. And I mean the Mavs in that game in Boston, uh I have a story about that too that I want to tell, but uh at the game in Boston, it was close. Boston got off to a, a, a huge lead. They were up like 10 in like the first 5 minutes. It was a haymaker punch right in the face. Then the Mavs bounced back, and it was close for the rest of the game. Yep. Uh, in fact, I think the Mavs might have pulled ahead for a minute there. But uh, Luka went nuts. But the team, I think, started 2 of 18 on threes. Uh, that won't happen again, no. for sure. But also, Jason Tatum, I think, was 1 of 19 from the field or something. That outrageous. was the game where just Kemba became unguardable. Yeah, Kemba went nuts. He went uh, nuts. And KP and Tatum, KP was 0 for 11, I mm. think, and, and Tatum was like 1 for 30. So yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not going to happen again. But that game, actually, I will never forget that game because, uh, lo and behold, could not believe my luck. In the press row, I was sitting next to the great Bob Ryan. Oh, it really? Was awesome. Wow. It was so cool. Did you talk to him? Yeah, I did. Yeah, baby. We talked the whole game. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was it was so much fun, man. He he doesn't go to many games anymore because he's like semi-retired. I think uh-huh. he's like a columnist emeritus or something. Uh, so that was his first game of the year. Didn't he go he to see to. Luca? Wasn't that his yeah, deal? Yeah. I think had, I remember reading that. Or maybe you told me that. Uh, yeah, Brad tweeted about it. Okay. I mean, and, and it was weird because like I was kind of like nervous to talk to him at first because he's like royalty. Mm-hmm. And then literally every single writer that was there came up and like said hello to him and not like hey what's up like i love you yeah you know i mean he's like revered yeah and uh, even brad was doing it and, and i i think it might have been Dwayne. Dwayne talked to him everyone who was there was talking to him and uh so finally muster up the courage we were just talking about the game just watching the game whatever he had never seen luca uh it was his first celtics game uh, it was awesome man that's a that great was, story man great yeah. experience i'm yeah. glad you got to do that yeah it was really really cool so um anyway Ten game stretch is gonna be very, very tough. Um, I don't want to ask you what you think their record needs to be, uh, but generally, like, I'll just say, I'll just say, I'd be happy with five and five. Yeah, me too. That's kind of like limiting or defeatist. But genuinely, it, if you play ten really tough games and you win half of them, you're especially with some of the caliber of the road games that you're talking about playing mm. here. I mean, obviously, I want to go eight and two or nine and one or whatever. But I'm also like, I look at these stretches and I go, okay, I didn't anticipate being third in the Western Conference on December 11th or whatever today is. Um, So what's the best way to maintain that? I look at it as, quite honestly, good God, can they really be in the top four and host a playoff game? Host a playoff series in the first round. That's a that to me, I thought was such a lofty goal going in. I didn't really want to go there. But now that we're here, I'm going, okay, stay healthy. Go for it. They have a chance to get better in a lot of key areas. So I'm going to I'm going to buy in on this. And one of the ways to do that is to, during the really tough part of your stretches of your schedule, maintain. Mm-hmm. And going 500 during a tough part is maintaining. Yep. You know, and yeah, that's, you, that's the way I look at those You things. don't want to get off to this incredible start and rattle off 10 out of 11 and then instantly give it, like, all back. Yeah, hey, or we went 3-7 and seven or 2-8. and eight. Yeah. Oh, I know it was a tough stretch, but yeah. that's and now, why. going 3-7 and seven is not, 
like a death sentence or anything no. because after that Oklahoma City game, you get six straight games at home, and yeah. now the last three of them are against the Nuggets, Lakers, and Sixers. <laughs> and so three eat games early. Four nights. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know there there will be you know they're about to pay the road a lot of time uh, over the next two months, and so February and March is a lot of home games, which is really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd hate to go two and eight, three and seven, play really bad basketball, just feel bad about it. Yeah. Going into a big long home stand because then all of a sudden the pressure is going to be on and you're playing, it's Brooklyn, Charlotte, Chicago at the beginning of that home stand. Three games that you maybe should win. Okay. So is, um, uh, is Kyrie playing? Cause that impacts how I feel about Brooklyn. I have Brooklyn. no idea, man. He's, he's been out. And do you know what they've been doing? Well, I don't Winning. know. Winning. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not they're, saying they're thirteen and ten. They've won three in a row. Yeah, uh, when uh, I think their record, go look. Oh, uh, whatever. This I, I can. This isn't a Nets podcast, but go look at their record when Kyrie went down and look at it now. It's a lot of W's. A lot of W's, crap. bro. Holy, they were five and eight, and now they're thirteen and ten. So, so they've t- won eight out of ten games. So talk to me. And so please tell me Kyrie's coming back. Is that a jerk thing to say? <laughs> Am I okay? Is everybody okay? And they by just the way, beat Denver. They just beat they Denver. They just beat Denver. And by the way, uh, I'm not a I'm not some anti Kyrie guy. Okay. Yeah. I realize they're out there. I'm not an anti Kyrie guy, but at some point you start going, what's the common denominator here? Mm. You know, and and maybe Kyrie's got to figure out himself. Mm. But, dude, it's kind of the old adage of, like. Michael Jordan obviously disproved this, and Kobe later did, and LeBron later did too. But if you're the scoring champion, your team is kind of limited, I guess. Right? Guys, part I just, of that is because well, of its limitations. Well, you know what, though? The other thing, too, is your style of play. Um, Luca is a great example of someone that can get you 30 without everyone standing around watching him. Mm-hmm. You know? And there's just is a tendency – to when guys play with Kyrie, they stand around and watch. Mm. And maybe his style of play is leading them to check out on some level. I just don't see guys out on the floor with Luka check out mm. and stand around and watch him. Yep. I just don't well, see Well, also they that. can't because they play for a coach who will bench them if they do. Right. Know? But I, I think Luka's one pitfall, and this is sort of – it may be re- related to the way that he views officiating in the NBA, but it seems like whenever he's not getting the friendly whistle early, he mm-hmm. does go into that it's me versus five thing. Yep. Un- and I'm going to keep doing that until I get a call. Right. And that's whenever things start like going off the rails. Like in L.A., they fell behind, behind by 10 because he just yep. was nonstop just like throwing himself at the rim. Agreed. Um, and the second unit saved their ass. And when he came back in in the third quarter, he was sensational. Yeah, yeah. He was settled down. Right. And so that's kind of the the big project, I guess. Whenever you think of ways that he can get better, it's to avoid those two to three minutes of sort of like self-destructive, yeah. self-inflicted self-inflicted, uh, yeah. play. Yeah. That can, that can sort of let the game get away from you. So I, there was a lot of chatter on, you know, uh, social media and sports radio, sports talk radio after the Sacramento game about Luca bitching at the officials and this sort of thing. And I think when we're in the moment, we, we forget, dude, no one lobbied harder than Tim Duncan, who's one of the greatest players. I mean, there's plenty of times where I saw Dirk lobby and complain mm-hmm. and do these things. Dirk complained a lot. Yeah, that's part of this game. But I don't know, maybe I just haven't noticed it, how many players do this. You Have you seen what Luca does at the end of every game? At the end of every game? Yeah, the whistle blows. No. He seeks out each official, goes up to them, shakes their hand, and talks to them. He does that before every game, too. So what I'm saying is, and there's a lot of young, new officials in the league, too. 
because mm. people go, well, all the old guys get. He he is developing relationships with these guys. And he's doing it very systematically. And the reason I know this is because sometimes I'm standing on the court waiting to interview him until he's done with that. And he's talking to coaches. I mean, you'll after a game, just watch players. They all talk to one another and all these things. But I don't recall after every single game watching a player seek out every official and thanking them. I mm. don't recall having ever seen that before. I mean, it's smart. It's Their first impression of you is positive. Their final impression of you is positive. But the 48 minutes in between is where things can kind of get a sure. little weird. And uh, he does – I wouldn't say – like it was kind of framed as in the moment that it had like reached a – reached a head or something like mm-hmm. that he had this was the worst it's ever been right. i wouldn't agree with that i don't think that his frustration has been mounting or building i think he was way way more demonstrative and histrionic about it uh last season after the trade deadline right the team was losing a lot and right. he was mad about that and he was mad about the no calls uh and his shots weren't falling or anything i think that him i just think it's like typical sort of stuff but uh you got to kind of roll with the punches on that sometimes. Yeah, I, he and knows that. He, he knows said that. as much after the game. Yeah, which I was impressed by. Yeah, I was impressed by because normally it's I don't worry about it or uh, you know well I got to get the calls. Like how how many NBA superstars will you ask? Do you get enough uh, whistles? And they'll say you know what I got to keep a level head. I saw you know? him probably five minutes after that whistle, that final whistle blew, and he was back to calm. Mm. It wasn't like he was in the back yelling and bitching and all the things. He was back to normal Luca, like mm. relatively quickly. It's in the moment. It's it, it's in the moment. And yes. sometimes, like, whatever. If you call me an MFer and, you know, threaten my family or something, in the moment, I'm going to want to just punch you right in the face. Right. But maybe a couple minutes later, I'll be cool. But the other but thing it's is. it's how you react, right? It's how you react. But also, if I do, this is my point about seeking them out after the game and before the game. If I, if you MF me, I'm going to give you a longer leash because I know you mm. and you've done other things. This is like the style of coaching. Uh, you know, people always talk about what on the outside, what a jerk Popovich, but go talk to a player that's played for him. They all to a man believe that he is personally invested in their lives and their family's lives and in the betterment of them as a person. Mm. They all believe that because he has exhibited that. So when he is in your face MFing you, you're not like, man, what a jerk. You take it a little bit differently because of the relationship that you've developed with that person. And so I'm not saying, hey, all these refs are going to give Luca calls because he shakes their hands. I'm just saying watch every player at the end of a game, and they're not doing that. So does him doing that create something later? I don't know. I just know it struck me as, man, this is every game I see him doing this. You'll see guys talk to officials they know better or whatever, but most of the guys don't talk to the officials after the game unless they're telling them they suck. Mm. You know, so I just it just struck me as something that was a little extraordinary, and not even just walking by going, "Hey, later." It's seeking them out and shaking their hand and looking in their eye. Mm. And hopefully, it's not a smile on your face saying, "You know, you're really the worst official that we've had all season." <laughs> hopefully, it's a little more wholesome than that. Uh, I do trust Luca's judgment, though. I mean. I think that he's going to do what's best ultimately yeah. in the end. Like he's a, he's a smart he's a smart fellow. Yeah. So uh, now, will opposing fan bases probably hate how much he complains and how many free throws he earns? Yes, absolutely. What happens on Twitter whenever LeBron gets a call or Harden gets a call? I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of misery. Yeah. That's going to be inflicted on twenty nine other teams and maybe thirty one depending on the expansion right. during Luca's career. But uh, hopefully, 
it's like a one-sided angst and not coming from him too. Yeah. Hopefully we can kind of reach like a happy medium where, where Luca is content most of the time. Um, but yeah, they're going to be tested over the next 10 games. It's going to be uh, kind of a, it's going to be kind of a challenge. There will be frustrating losses. I will say to their credit, they've been competitive in every loss this season. Mm-hmm. Um, at I some point, their biggest, that matters. their biggest loss was by 10. Was that Boston? That was Boston. And Maybe. they were, it was tied with five minutes left. Yeah. Uh, they lost the Lakers in overtime by I think eight. The Kings, they only lost by I think four. Obviously, it was very lopsided at one point, but yeah. they got back into it. So um, they're very good at at least staying attached. Um, I think their clutch offense issues are still sort of present. Uh, they they aren't maybe consistently able to generate good shots. That will surely be tested in the next ten games. But uh, they'll come out of it on the other side stronger, hopefully healthy as well. Did you know, by the way, they're top five in the NBA in avoiding injuries so far? They've had that doesn't surprise me. How do I phrase this? They're bottom five in games missed. Yeah, due but, to but they call that man games. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, the only ones Dwight Powell missed a few. Maxi missed one. Delon's missed one, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it. Right. I mean, they've they've been pretty fortunate so far. When they do those games missed stats, do they include rest games? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. They they might, and if they do, they've only missed what one. Due to rest, the first KP, Porzingis, KP yeah. in Memphis, yeah, because uh, he's played in the other two, right? Because of uh, playing you know, twenty minutes the night before, blow out the opponent, yeah. yeah the other night um, so anyway, whatever happens, that's going to lead us into twenty twenty. And as we were alluding to earlier, uh, trade deadline is kind of what is it, February sixth or something? That sounds so right. It's it's kind of far on the horizon, but hold on um, a second. Yo Siri, when's the NBA trade deadline? Yo, ooh, waiting. See, I don't want to do the work. I asked you so you would do it for me. Now I got to go read. You have to read. I don't want to read. Dude, no one wants to read. Uh, Let's just pretend that it's February seventh because that might have been when it was last year. So it's probably not this year. Although twenty twenty is a leap year. Uh Uh oh, is it really? uh, Yeah, it is. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a. What does that do to the moon and stuff? Um, February seventh at twelve thirty a.m. February seventh. At 12.30 a.m. What? That can't be right. This must be from China or something. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on what time zone you're in. Yeah, my God. Uh, Well, it'll be around then. But as we said, uh, trade season kind of heats up a little bit on December 15th. That's whenever you're going to start going to ESPN.com, Trade Machine, blah, 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 and starting to to work your calculations. Now, of course, there's a lot of rules and regulations to trade involving money and stuff. Um, The Mavs do have that trade exception, about $11.7 million, that they can essentially turn into a player who makes that amount or less for for free, basically without sending anything out. Uh, They have Golden State's second-round pick, which today I think is 32nd. Kind of fluctuates between 31 and 33, depending on how many games Golden State and Atlanta lose, or Atlanta and uh, the Knicks lose. Um, yeah, so they got some they got some decent ammo. But uh, on the last podcast that you and I did, we kind of likened this season to 2014 15, mm-hmm. which was the year whenever they got off to a great start. They were 19 and eight. They had a historically good offense. They lost to some good teams, but they were pretty much competitive in all these games. They blew out a lot of bad teams. Very similar to this year. Uh, of course, December 18th, as soon as players could be traded, they traded for Rajon Rondo <laughs> and Dwight Powell. And Dwight Powell. Yeah. Dwight, yep. Uh, so uh, it. it was a very big trade. Obviously, didn't necessarily work out for that season. However, if the Mavs essentially turned uh, 
two expiring contracts and Jay Crowder into Dwight Powell. Like ultimately, I think net they won the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, Gorshan Yabaselli was the player that Boston got with that draft pick. He so moved into my neighborhood. Did he really? Nah, I just made that up. Oh, okay. I didn't remember that uh, dude's so name. So the Mavs won the trade, I would say. But that year, they definitely took a big L. Uh, it, it did not work out. So I think everyone is sort of like cautiously uh, hoping that maybe the Mavs don't swing too big. But uh, we, you and I both agreed, too, that that season was different because Dirk is 36, 37 years old. This yeah. might be your last chance to actually win something of consequence. You got Tyson. Was older. Uh, yeah, and Parsons was like 28 he w- or 26, maybe. I mean, he wasn't 20. Like That Luka. was the first Parsons year. That was the first Parsons yeah. year, yeah. Uh, and you saw Monte. Monte, of course, was in the last mm-hmm. year of his deal. And mm-hmm. so uh, there was a lot of reason, I think, to try and swing big. Yeah. Um, but I think if you look a little further back, and you would know much more about this than I would, because you were kind of in your prime at the time, and I was... Uh, like a fetus? I was like eight. Okay. Uh, but if you look a little further back in Mavs history, you can find a time whenever uh, maybe it fits a little more. Uh, it's a little closer to the situation that's unfolding in front of us now. So that would be in the early 2000s. Dirk was 21, 22. Steve Nash was 24, 25. Michael Finley was 25, 26, 27. Uh, and the Mavs suddenly went from lottery mainstay to playoff contender. Yep. Almost overnight. Yep. Um, and so I was looking at their transaction history from that season to see, like, well, what did they do those seasons to maybe either get over the hump uh-huh. or try and win a championship or whatever, right? Uh, and so I kind of want to go year by year, rattle off a move that they made, and then have you just kind of explain maybe at the time or stories you've heard over the years, whatever, okay. uh, what your kind of thoughts are on that move. And please forgive me if I remember nothing of some of this. No, that's cool. Okay. You'll remember everything, I'm okay. sure. So uh, 1999-2000, a little backstory. That was Dirk's second year, mm-hmm. the year before the Mavs went, what, 20-32 and 32 or something? Mm-hmm. It was the year after the lockout. They weren't very good. Going into that season, expectations weren't super high. Um, that is that the year that Cuban bought the team? Yes, Cuban in bought January, the team in January, January or December or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, so it was a very, it was kind of a transitional season. Yeah. Um, the only can, move, can I can I tell you some something real quick? Yeah. Yeah. So the the prevailing thought at the time was people saw some things in the Mavs, but they didn't believe in the Mavs, and they thought that the Nelsons were trash, and they thought that... They, I'm, I'm not telling you what I thought. I'm mm. telling you what you could turn on Norm in here. Now, Norm is a very nice man. He wouldn't call them trash. <laughs> but you could turn on the ticket and hear this, or you could read the morning news where Mark Stein was writing, and you at the time, the idea was that uh, Don Nelson pulled a fast one on Ross Perot, and this thing sucks and he brought his son in here. That's nepotism. And boy, the Mavericks are going to suck forever. So that is oh, what that's, is happening. That's tough. That's what, that's what the prevailing, the, the Galloways and the people that shape sports media opinions at the time. That's what they're saying about this thing. So they were very low on yes, the Mavs. Right. Even if the Mavericks win some games, it's, well, that's just luck. They got to blow this thing up. Oh, well, that's Why didn't they draft Paul Pierce? That see, I can I can relate to that. Uh, of course, I can understand why they would feel that way. And now, uh, sentiment must have reached kind of an all-time low in January, whenever the Mavs were nine and twenty-three on January sixth. Of course, shortly after that, Cuban bought the team, and lo and behold, yes, they ended up rattling off thirty-one wins the rest of the year. They end up forty and forty-two. Now, the only move that they made personnel-wise during that time 
uh, other than like giving Damon Jones a 10-day contract, things like that. I mean, they weren't doing anything too big, although Damon Jones turned out to have a nice career. Uh, they signed Dennis Rodman skin. Yep. That was kind of their trade deadline acquisition. Of course, they didn't trade for him. They just signed him. Yep. He lasted about a month and then uh, got kicked to the curb. But that was like the move that they made. Okay, and they immediately got fined because Rodman was living in a in Cuban's house and it was viewed as a violation of the collective bargaining agreement. So that's and also he wore a weird number. What was he like? Uh, 71 I think yeah. or something like that. Uh and then there was a lot of and he had, you know, a jillion colors in his hair and there was because there was so much negativity around the Mavericks, it was viewed as a sideshow and this is BS and boy, same old crap. You know. I mean, was the intention for it to work out? I don't know. I think that's a good question for Cuban. Like, did he do it? But Cuban knew that he had to do some things to... It got people in the building. It got I people in that. the building. He had to generate some interest. Um, and so I think that was probably the primary move. And then also, you know, I mean, you know, Rodman, for all his flaws and stuff, he's going to add a level of grit and toughness and rebounding and some of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember going to the games. I mean, the arena was much more lively. Yes. Than, uh, I, and I give Cuban uh, tremendous credit for seeing the benefit of the groundwork that the Nelsons had already put in and seeing the benefit of keeping these guys because – Everyone, including the Nelsons, thought Cuban was going to come in here and blow them out. Mm. Everybody thought that. Yeah. And I'm not going to go out here and tell stories that I know that the people that are involved should be the ones to tell those stories. But I can just tell you, the Nelsons, the first time they met Cuban, they were pretty confident they were about to be fired on the spot. Mm. Well, it's a good thing they weren't, Skin. Yeah. I, I think we can both agree on that. Um, the next season. 2000 2001 their only real big offseason move that year was trading for Howard Isley veteran point guard shooting guard sort of combo guy out of Utah mm-hmm. he'd spent he'd been to the finals with Utah so it's kind of like a veteran uh, presence to help get them maybe over the hump and into the playoffs because you need guys who know how to play lead singer of the Isley brothers uh yes uh also and, and then also at that time uh there was still some you know Nash was starting to round it off Mm. But, you know, keep in mind the way the Nelsons think about basketball and stuff. You know, Isley was another playmaking type. Mm. And uh, what people do forget is that Nash was really good at playing off the ball. In fact, at Santa Clara, he played off the ball a lot. Yeah. So it, it was viewed at, I think, as insurance if Nash didn't work out, and as well as it's always good to add a secondary playmaker mm. and a guy. And he did start a lot of games that yeah, season, absolutely. actually, he at he the beginning of the year. He had a game winner against Charlotte, if I remember really? correctly. I All believe right. he had a game winner against Charlotte. Interesting. Well, that year kind of unfolds. And uh, as 2000 turns to 2001, the Mavs find themselves about 10 games over 500. In fact, it reached its peak, I guess, at uh, right around the trade deadline with the win over Washington. I yep. believe Michael Jordan was on the Wizards at the time. That might have been one year early. But either way, they went to 33-20, and 20, and they were very, very legit. I mean, at, at that point, you're thinking, yes, this is definitely a playoff team. However... A couple days later, they go out and lose to the Lakers. They'd recently also lost to the Spurs. A lot of the good teams in the league were still sort of sunning them. The Sixers had beat them recently, too. And so the Mavs kind of made a swing. So despite over the summer adding like Howard Isley and Christian Leitner, who were sort of like these sort of peripheral players, Uh uh, they decide to make a trade for a pretty legit player. February 22nd, 
that you were still able to make trades for some reason. But on February 22nd, they trade for Jawan Howard and, of course, Mavs legend Calvin Booth. Yes. Eventually, or like immediately overturning the roster, eventually Jawan Howard becomes their starting small forward slash power forward with yep. Dirk. They go yep. huge. Calvin Booth ends up hitting a big playoff uh, game winner against the Jazz. But that was kind of the first, like, they're serious about about doing this. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, uh, Jawan Howard had a really big contract. Did he? I believe so. I believe jo- Jawan Howard had a massive contract because, God, they – I can't remember if they were the Wizards or the Bullets. I they guess were they the were the Wizards. Wizards. They were recently okay. the Wizards. Um, so they had, remember they had Weber and Howard together. And then Weber was eventually traded to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had them together at one point. And Howard got a really big contract. And back then a really big contract was like, I think $18 million. Mm. Can you, can, would you mind? I don't want to sure, throw yeah. you off your Google Doc. Up. But look up uh, Jawan Howard's career earnings. And look at the contract that he was given, I believe, in Washington. I think it was like 18 a year, which at the time was sort of, oh, my God. Holy crap. Yeah, he was making, so that season, 001, yep. $16.8 million. Okay. Uh, then 18.7, then 20.6. So, yeah, he signed like a five-year $90 yeah. million. And it was contract. extraordinary money back then. Yeah, that is a, that's a lot for a guy who was basically – Giving you like 18 and 10. Yeah. Which is good. Which is good, but it wasn't like, it's like, what in the hell is going on here? And then uh, Weber had some issues, got pulled over on game day, blah, blah, blah. So they were blowing that thing up, and that's how Howard became available. And, uh, you know, uh, Howard was an exceptional high post player. Yeah, he was. Um, Funky jump shot, I remember Funky jump shot, but uh, a smart guy. He's head coach at Michigan now. You know, he's a a basketball guy. Wolverines are off to a great start, Skin. God God bless him. So uh, that was was an exciting time for the Mavericks because you're like, we're going to make the playoffs. And then they made the playoffs, and they actually won a series. And that, for me, is special. Because that sort of where me and Ben began to make our ascent mm. into the sports media world. Because we were doing a weekly, think about this, a weekly basketball show on radio. So we were on radio one hour a week. And oh, wow. We had a Thursday night show that came on after Mike Fisher had a daily sports show on uh, Fox 1190. And me and Ben had AM a, radio, huh? AM radio. And me and Ben had a one-hour show called Basketball Jones. And that was the name of our show, and we talked basketball for an hour. Mm. And so we were there at the station, and the trade went down. And if I remember correctly, Mark Cuban called into Fish's show from an airplane. Really? I, now, Dude, what a flex. <laughs> that's, my, that's my memory of it. <laughs> now, awesome. sometimes you create memories that aren't there, and maybe he was on the ground, or maybe the plane was on the tarmac. Well, he's been known to do some absurd yeah. stuff. After but he called into Fish's show, and that was an exciting moment for me because that was the first time I was ever in a live environment talking basketball and giving basketball opinions and, you know, stating, you know, it was it – was, that was the first sort of moment for me where I remember real time, big news, reacting to it and being broad and broadcasting at that moment. Mm. So that trade was was a big deal. It is a big deal. I mean that that pushed them over the top. So they were thirty three and twenty one when they made that trade, and they ended up fifty three and twenty nine. So I mean they won twenty of their next twenty eight games and won a playoff series. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, 
the next year they would actually turn around and trade Juwan Howard away as an expiring contract. Okay, you know what? Really I just I just but... gave you a false memory. Okay. That actually happened next year at the trade deadline. The next, oh, the, the Nick next Van Exel big, one. The Nick Van Exel trade. Okay, yes. interesting. Yes, okay. yes, yes. I remember from that Jawan Howard thing, I believe he gave a press conference after coming to Dallas, and uh, my dad told me that he like started crying at the press conference. Oh, I don't remember that. And I said, well, why? Like, Is he sad about coming here? My dad said, no, he's happy that he's coming to a, a good situation. That's on the rise. Yeah. Because that Washington, Washington situation had gotten bad. bad yeah. Now, they did have – well, that was – yeah, that was before MJ. So yeah. that was like – Kwame Brown, I think, maybe. No, Jordan drafted Kwame Brown. Oh, so yeah, that was before Kwame Brown. You know what, Brown. though? He drafted Kwame Brown. I th- I, God, I don't remember now. Yeah, don't, he was responsible for drafting Kwame Brown, but yeah. I don't know if he drafted him and then started playing immediately. I can't remember. It was remember. like right around. It, was yeah. a, it all happened kind of at the same time, but I think it was before Jordan was playing, but there was nothing going on there. I mean, right. that was before Jerry Stackhouse went there. It was right. obviously way before like Gilbert Arenas and Antoine Jameson and all those guys. Because they this traded a, Rip Hamilton for Jerry Stackhouse, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. That season, 0-1, Stackhouse was scoring 30 a game yeah. in Detroit, and then I think they made that, that yep. swap that summer. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a bleak situation. And that was whenever – and I, I mean, I was like 9 or 10 years old, but my dad telling me that, I was like, man, this is about to be good. If a good player yeah. is happy to come here, then this is about to get fun. Yeah. And sure enough, it did. Now, next season, this is after coming off a playoff series win. So you're thinking, man, they're going to push their chips to the table. Now, I don't know which moves they tried to make that they couldn't or maybe they were linked to players or whatever. The rumor mill was much different back then. But one of the only moves that they made that summer – I actually never knew they even did this, was on August 10th, they traded for Muggsy Bogues. God, I don't remember that. They waived him. It, okay. was, a, it was like a three- or four-team trade. They waived Muggsy Bogues, um, but by getting his contract uh, and sending out uh, – I forget who they sent out. They sent out a, a, a lot of money. I think Calvin Booth was involved. They sent out a lot of money, and so they created a trade exception uh-huh. with that deal, and then they turned around a couple weeks later and used that trade exception to acquire Tim Hardaway. Senior, oh yeah. So that was the that was the inception of uh, the Tim Hardaway Jr. era in Dallas. He went to I think Indian Creek Elementary School. Is that right? That was up in Frisco or Plano, okay. somewhere in there. Um, can you imagine a player living in Frisco these days? It would take him an hour and a half to get to the game. <laughs> right. No one, no depending on what time they leave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So that was the move that they made in the summer, which is a pretty big deal. Again, veteran point guard, a lot of experience, yeah. playoff experience. And then at that season's trade deadline, the Mavericks are just stampeding through the NBA at this point. They're like, all right, this is legit. We're trying to win a championship now. Um, they're winning whatever. They won 58 games that season, I think. They make a huge trade. Yes. A huge trade. Yes. They send out Jawan Howard, a couple other players. And this is why, by the way, I in my mind, I I merged those two trades together because Jawan Howard was going out the door. Yeah, so remember he came talk- in and then yes. a year later, basically to the day, he, he departed. Once again, for Nick Van Exel, Rafe LaFrance, Avery Johnson, yep, and of course, Tariq Abdul-Wahad. <laughs> oh, man. So that was an enormous trade. Nick yeah. Van Exel, one of the, still one of the top six men in the league, maybe one of the top six men ever for mm-hmm. what he did in Dallas. Rafe LaFrance, jump-shooting big man, replaced Sean Bradley in the starting lineup, became a really pivotal piece of the team the next season. And then Avery Johnson, of course, would end up becoming a head coach in a couple years in Dallas. So that was an, a, a really, 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 really big trade. And that was kind of the holy crap, they're going for it moment for me because you're acquiring all of this offensive firepower, veteran talent. And you're like, yeah, we're, we're in it to win it. So the thing that mattered the most from that is obviously Nick Van Exel and the culture aspect of it, both what Nick brought and then what Avery brought. 
Like there was a huge, and for what Nick brought was Nick brought ridiculous, ridiculous swagger. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not talking about swaggy P like junk swagger. I'm talking about we are never getting punked again. And that was important it, because it was they, important. they got wrecked by San Antonio the yes. year before. You're in a new stadium. Yes. You're young. People are still picking on Dirk. KG yes. is at the peak of his S-talking yes. powers. The Lakers are winning a three-peat. I mean, you needed there some was, attitude. There was a famous quote that Nick said where people think we're a bunch of soft white boys. Mm. And, boy, that got a lot of play and blah, blah, blah. But it was a sentiment. It wasn't um, – it, it was an idea of we're not what this perception is and we're going to go out there and change it. And there are very few things I've ever seen that were more astonishing than Nick Van Exel's performance in Arco Arena during the playoffs. And I was the ticket, you know, at the time me and Ben are doing the postgame show on the ticket, we were se- I was sent there to cover the team. Really? I you was were in the th- building that night? I was in the building. That's game three, I That think? was game three. The double overtime game? Yes. Yeah. And that was one of the, just the most exhilarating moments of my life mm-hmm. because Nick Van Exel was in the definition, the epitome of enemy territory, and he was letting it all hang out, brother. Mm-hmm. So to say the things that he said and then go do those things, it meant a lot to everybody, which we may get to in a second when we're talking about trades and those sorts of things and why you make trades. But everyone focused on Rafe LaFrance during that trade because of the position he played. And think about how basketball is played now. Nelly was very vocal. We've brought this guy in to shoot from the outside and they, bring the other they went teams. five out. Yeah. They wanted to bring the other team center because back then Shaq and the guys would post up and blah, blah, blah. We're going we're gonna to spread this floor wide open and no one's going to be able to They played us. five out in 2002. Pretty awesome. They were 20 years ahead of things, man. Pretty awesome. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, they would go, they won 60 games the next season with Nash, Van Exel, Finley, Dirk, and LaFrance as kind of like their main five. Of course, Van Exel came off the bench, but they would also go... And he played in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and they would go even smaller sometimes with Dirk at five and like Raja Bell on the floor. Raja Bell was a tough dude. They still had either Greg Buckner or Adrian Griffin or maybe even both Mm -hmm. that season. Uh, So they would go very small. But imagine having Rafe LaFrance, who at the time was shooting like 36 38% from three, as your starting center. Yeah, I mean, they were playing space-age basketball. Uh, So that was a really, 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 really big trade. And you talking about that, the sentiment of like the soft white boys thing, doesn't that kind of remind you of maybe the way that some teams might view the Mavs now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Luke is legit. I mean, I I don't think Dirk was commanding that level of respect, but the Mavs are. This the, season's Mavs, a lot of uh, unproven players, a lot of Europeans, yeah. a lot of white guys. I and, mean, and I, and the, but the environment is so different, and part of the reason that stereotypes exist is because of these past things that people have seen and then the way they're talked about sort of exacerbate these narratives. But keep in mind, Dirk winning a championship in 2011 is completely – not completely, but it has obliterated a lot of those narratives. Yeah, and but then the way that those draft – conversations of, oh. of the 2018 draft are looking really stupid. And that was one year ago. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I think, I think those are good points. I mean, I think part of it too is like in any draft you, you, you over, I think you, or at least I know I have overvalue athleticism. Mm. And I think also one of the things that Luca and James Harden are teaching us is you don't necessarily just measure athleticism by a vertical leap and a cone drill. Mm. Like you can measure it by the amount of time it takes for a force to stop and balance and some of these other ways of looking at elite athleticism other than the traditional measures of 
here's a hurdle guy. Right. Here's a guy running the hurdles. Like, okay, obviously great athlete, but that's not the be all end all. There's other ways to measure the way that athleticism is going to be manifested during a game. Mm-hmm. And Luca and James Harden are great examples. Of that Nobody thinks of James Harden as a premier athlete two or three years ago, but they're probably thinking about it differently because he puts everybody on skates mm. and that takes athleticism. It's a combination of skill and athleticism. Luca's the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I think though, if, if there was one area that the Mavs can improve in, maybe not even position wise, it might be edge. Maybe Dorian, Maxi, Dwight Powell, those guys play hard. They play with an edge. They play with a little bit of attitude, uh-huh. but if you can get somebody like Nick Van Exel, who's, pretty good yes and can also do that same exact not uh, now obviously those no. guys are good too like yeah. dorian is a starter and he's played well as a starter but like nick van exel is like a former all-star kind of guy that's the yes. uh, yes that was like the it not only did it give them a lift in spirit but also in in talent in yeah ability and keep in mind this is where you talk about context and situations at the time nick van exel was looked at as a problem for Denver. Mm. Hey, we got to get rid of this guy. He's paid a lot and it's not working out. He's a malcontent. We got to get rid of him, you know? And so he comes here and he's a godsend. I mean, it's just like extraordinary. Like Denver was detonating. So they needed, I think Jawan Howard's contract might've been expiring when they traded him. It was expiring him. the year after. The year after. So it was, okay. And back then expiring contracts were golden. Yeah, it was golden. Way more valued than draft picks. Yes. And back then you could put money in every deal and Cuban was throwing money in every deal. Mm to do all these things. Yeah, that he in wanted. fact, one year he traded four, three first round picks and then traded all of the players that he drafted. Yeah. Like in, was like that Don L Harvey and Courtney Alexander? Yeah. Is it all those guys? Yeah. Okay. And then in Tom Thomas that yep. summer, he, yep. they acquired three first round picks and they were all gone by the time the next season started. Oh my gosh. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, well, gone within, well, within a year. Yeah, within yeah, a year. Yeah. Courtney Alexander and Tom Thomas were part of the trade that brought Jawan Howard to Dallas. Yes. To make okay. salaries match. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think that that year more than any, and, and the last year that I have written down, nothing happened in 2002, 2003. They liked what they had. They won 14 games in a row to start the season. They ended yeah. up winning 60. They were like, we don't have to do anything. We, these guys, they were pretty healthy that year. They had a deep roster. They, they made some changes around the edges. Everyone cuts their 15th guy or whatever and brings in guys on 10 days and stuff, but they didn't make a single trade at all. And uh, they were happy. So I think those four years, and then they were kind of off to the races. Yeah. Now, of course, the entire roster turned over a couple years later with the, the Antoines and all that stuff. Right. But, um, that 0-1-0-2 year, I think, stood out to me more than 0-0-0-1, at least as far as, like, what might happen this year if the Mavs do make a move. I don't think that they have the ammo to go get, at the time, Jawan Howard was, like, a star-level guy in mm-hmm. a bad situation. Right. Um, but I think they do have... If we're going to see something, I think it would be maybe not for a player of Nick Van Exel's caliber, but at least that kind of guy where maybe it's like someone who's been there, done that, has attitude, has credentials, has a resume, who can kind of teach people the way. I've, I've you know? noticed, you know, because uh, of what this is, we're not going to start naming specific players. Mm-hmm. And, hey, they can get this guy. I'm not even alluding to specific a specific player at all, and I know exactly who you're thinking. You know what I'm, I'm thinking, thinking of? Because yeah. I see a lot of chatter of it about Twitter uh, or on Twitter about it. And uh, everyone's entitled to their own opinion and all that stuff is valid. And I think there's arguments both ways and I get it. But one of the things I think is tremendously underappreciated by folks that don't spend time around teams is what 
a basketball savant does for everybody. Mm. Someone that knows what is going to happen and when it happens. And sometimes you trade for a guy that may play 15 to 20 minutes a night and you might rest him a lot because you go, you know what? When we get to the playoffs, he's going to mean an S ton. Mm. And one of the best things that happened to the Mavericks was winning that first round that first year. That meant a lot. And sometimes those kinds of guys help you do those sorts of things. And so I'll see, like, someone's comparing stats or whatever, and I'm like, man, you're totally missing what this is about. Mm. This is about knowledge. This is about teaching. You You already have young pieces that are going to be here when you win a championship. This is about accelerating that. Ooh, when you win a championship. That's the way I feel Ooh, about I got the goosebumps. That's the way I feel about Luke and Porzingis, yeah. you know. And, and, and But, hey, Oklahoma City, I would have said the same thing. That's true. This is when they win their championship, it doesn't always work out. And Oklahoma City tried to do that. They yes. traded for Kendrick Perkins. Yes. I mean, they, they, they absolutely. Did, and they I can't tell you how many people told me, well, Kendrick Perkins is trying. I'm like, you're not really focusing in on the intangibles. And I'm not, and I'm not saying other people. I've been vi- very, very, very guilty of this. Mm-hmm. And I was on the radio uh, talking about, uh, well, now that Crom Butler is hurt boys an expiring contract you really need to trade him to add a piece to this being naive and ignorant to by the way if you go into that locker room and you look at all those dudes in the eye and you go hey the guy that shoved his kneecap back into place and walked off the floor we got rid of him because he's an expiring contract. You take a dump on all those guys. Mm-hmm. You rip their hearts out of their bodies. And so there are intangible things that go into this. It's not, well, I'm looking at this spreadsheet, and this is what his salary is worth. And I was guy on the radio going, you've got to trade that asset. Mm-hmm. Not even focusing on the intangible aspect of those. Karan Butler mattered, mattered to those guys in Miami when they were winning a championship. He mattered to them. Mm-hmm. And so those are things that you have to think about. And so when I'm sitting here and I'm talking about intangibles, I've learned that lesson. I've learned, all right, man, it's not just about, well, this age and this contract, that there's all these things that go into it. And sometimes acquiring a guy to be around. Hell, Avery Johnson, that trade you mentioned, Avery Johnson couldn't play anymore. He was the little general, man. He was a little general, but he mattered in a tremendous way. Now, there's people that I'm kind of – alluding to they can still play at a high level during important games. You're not going to roll them out at, in uh, the Memphis game on February of a random night. No mm. offense to Memphis, but that's not the top of the conference right now. But what I'm saying is is you don't, don't just pull up basketball reference and look at numbers mm. when you're trying to figure out internally whether you think a trade matters. Or yeah, not. I mean, there's a lot of things that are kind of inquantifiable, right? Avery got the name the little general for a reason. He was a leader. Right. Like Pop gave him the the shot to win the championship. Right. And he was like right. a, he was a spare part for the Spurs, but like that is kind of that there are, you know, how it's, much not, is, it's not all about ability sometimes. How much has basketball changed since the Spurs won a championship with David Robinson, Tim Duncan, and Avery Johnson as the starting yeah. point guard? <laughs> a lot. Oh my god. I mean, how much has it changed since it was Parker? Yeah. Can you imagine a point guard who can't shoot? Like, right. That would be impossible. Or right. like not even that can't won't right right you know? right um so i and but you and, get what i'm saying on all yeah that. no no i i and i think everybody kind of knows who you're hinting about but i think there's also um there's a different way that they can go too i and uh, we'll get to this maybe this is a good segue i don't know but um i was not expecting them to be at this level yet me neither and so i don't know but and i think 
it was the same last year too. They didn't think Luke would be that good, and I think they were like, "Oh my God, Luke is that good. Right. We can we can go get Porzingis right now." Right. So I don't know if. Did you happen to hear Cuban on with Bad Radio yesterday? I did not. I so did he not. said they would have made the Porzingis trade regardless of anything, even if they didn't have Luca, for example. Do you they, believe it? I believe that Donnie's been in love with Porzingis for a long time. Yeah. I do believe that. So I don't know. You if, know if they would have ended up with Wendell Carter, I mean, do you think that they – Yeah. You think so? Yeah, I think they see him. And, and he's just such a unique entity. And I think there's some real snap judgments going on right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure, there are. But he is a super unique entity that fits right in with where yeah. this thing is And, I mean, going. there's been reports that the Mavs have reached out a thousand times about him over the years. Yeah. I mean, that this was something that they'd wanted forever. Right. So, I so, do believe that. Yeah. yeah. I'm just very interested in the timeline of if Luka doesn't happen and the Porzingis trade doesn't happen, then what are we looking at right now? And I don't want to. I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to know. I'm, it's I, a lot better this way. I'm happy in this universe. Yeah. Alternate universe. Bobby is really upset. Right. Well, let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's two trains of thought. It's either go with last year, where you're like, my God, we're way better. This is actually legit. Let's let's do it. And you can try and make a trade for the Nick Van Exel equivalent, or you can say, you know what? not in a rush we either don't need to make a move at all or we can try and get someone maybe younger mm-hmm. someone who is maybe more of like a kind of match it again i don't like the word timeline but is on that same kind of thing of like there's value in learning together yep there's value in adding uh speed to the team that you might yep. not get with a guy who's in his 30s uh or dynamic whatever whether it's playmaking or de- uh, perimeter defense or rim protection or whatever so there's kind of multiple different ways that they can go. Um, and then also, you have to realize, too, if they make a trade, they got to trade somebody off this team. Mm-hmm. And every single player on the team, every player on every good team will say this, but I kind of believe them genuinely whenever they say, like, this chemistry right now is really, really strong. And that, that's a good argument against making a trade that's not going to be a long-term piece. That's a solid argument against this mm-hmm. thing, uh, uh, you know, for that. I totally understand yeah. all of those logics. Um, I I just I don't think people should underestimate the impact of having a veteran head around here mm. to go well because I just think if this team made the second round of the playoffs, I just think we would be on a launch pad to amazing be awesome. success. You have to, in almost every circumstance ever, with the lone exception being Kawhi, who I guess really his first major foray into the playoffs did end in disappointment. Um, you have to learn to lose before you win. Mm-hmm. It may, it's maybe not even learn to lose, but you generally lose before you win. Yeah. So if you don't lose this year, you're probably going to lose next year or the mm-hmm. year after. Right. So the, the, this internal conflict is, well, do we just ride it out and see what happens? Or do we let's try and lose now so that we can get that experience? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I, you're not going into it believing you're going to lose, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you, I think you got to gain those. You got to gain those mark. Those earn those stripes at some point. You do have to earn your stripes at some point. Um, but if it's me, if I can win a playoff series this year, I think I've expedited my time. Table, yeah, it would be personally. rad. And now the the ultimate question: We just spent 20 minutes talking about 10 games of basketball. Yep. If you go one and nine, then you're like, well, you know what? Maybe we're not there yet. Yeah. If you go seven and three, 
I go seven, oh my three, god, man, I'm getting real aggressive. Yeah, we're there. We're, getting, we can do this right now. Yeah. And that's what people have been saying about the league sort of landscape for many months now is Kawhi goes to the Clippers. Sure, that's awesome. But Golden State's in a gap year. So, like, this is – it's an open – it's an open race. I, You know, I would what I would say is I would say if they stay healthy, the Clippers are going to get one in the next two or three years. They might get one in the next six months. Right. So, I'm not going to look at it as – all right, we got to wait for those teams to die off. I'm going to look at it as, man, w- so how would you feel if you didn't go for it, you ended up as the three seed, and then one of those two extraordinary players for the Clippers got hurt? Mm. And, well, we were waiting for a couple of years because mm. why? And also, what laurels are you resting on, too? Yeah. Because if you, if you do wait, you might never get another chance at bat. You and, know and, what I mean? And, and here's the other thing that's unique about this situation your best player has already won a championship, being the focal That's point of the team. Multiple. So he expects to win, bro. Mm. He expects that. So why don't we try to facilitate that? Yeah, it's just – it's such a unique situation that many, many, many teams who are on the on the up, right, that are on the rise, never encounter. Yeah. Ever. Because you don't go from really bad to really good – in one year, the way that this team has. Mm-hmm. It just does not happen ever. I remember doing a show with you last summer where we were pretty optimistic that they'd be flirting with 500, which mm-hmm. they were before they made the trade. Right. Um, which they took a step back yeah. for very good reason. Yeah, yeah, very good reason. Very I would good do reason. it again. Yes. I'll, I'll just put it that way. But uh, I said, like, historically speaking, a lot of teams that – have a really bad season but lose a lot of close games, get a lot better the next year, uh-huh. which they did. But they don't get this much better. Yeah. I mean, that does not happen. You don't go from 33 to 50 ever. Do you, know, do you know how you do that? Your rookie of the year goes to MVP candidate in his second year. And you add an all-star that wasn't on yeah. your team before. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is like kind of unprecedented. It so absolutely is. I'm not going to make – there's this – whatever happens the rest of the season, there's no referendum on the organization or on how you go from bad to good or whatever. I mean, this is a very unique situation. So even though I've kind of like – you can see clear paths to even specific players, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone knows who's available on the trade market and on the free agent market and all that stuff. That's never a secret to anybody, especially super fans. But I'm really, really curious to see which route they choose because – all of them have their merit. Doing nothing has its merit. Sure. Keeping these same 15 is makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Every move they make makes sense. That's why I, I, for the most part, loved their offseason. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the contracts that they signed, who they signed, and what the value of those contracts are, where's the mistake? Yeah, if DeLon Wright was a free agent today, do you think he'd make more money? Yes. Uh, Maxi. Yes. Dwight? Yes. Uh, Dorian? Dor- is Dorian still your number three? Dorian makes $4 million a year. Is he still your number three minute getter? He's uh, at least I'm sure four. he is. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he is. Yeah. I mean, he, th- th- where was the misstep? Yeah. There, there, there wasn't. JJ at the minimum? You don't think he's been? The first the first question of the quarter mark awards, actually. That's a very good transition, Skin. Thank okay. you for that. Yep. Uh, these are awards takes. All of these are kind of like snap quick. You don't got to give me an essay about them or anything. Okay, good. Because um, we have seven minutes left in this podcast. Oh, wow. Okay. Can we uh, get to it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we can do it. Who's your sixth man of the year? In the NBA? Uh, of the ma- These are all maps. Oh, all maps. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, oh, golly. That's very, very difficult. Mine is JJ. Interesting. I wouldn't have said him. He's, give me your logic. He's changed a lot of games. I think he's played in, what, six, seven games. They've lost two of them. Uh, he 
started the turnaround in the Kings game. Dude, he I like where you saved the Magic at. game. He kind of saved the Pelicans game whenever they were losing big. Uh, he's just he's changed a lot of games, and he's the maybe the only guy that Luca will like truly truly listen to. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> outside of the coaching staff. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can talk me into that. I wouldn't have said. I probably I would have immediately sort of just knee jerk defaulted to Delon. Yep. Because he's, he's my runner up for sure. Uh, but you could. Pro- <laughs> what about oh, Maxi? Wow. I love your unconventional thinking. Uh, I spe- well, Maxi now, especially that they've settled into Dwight as the full time starter and Tim mm. as the full time starter. I'm assuming that continues. Uh, you could talk me into that. I think I'd probably go with Delon. But I think all three of the. I think for sure Maxi and Delon are great candidates. I hadn't considered JJ, but yeah. I like your logic. Or even Boban, man. Plus minus leader still undefeated. Uh, He's my twelfth man of the year. What's your What's your biggest positive surprise? Your happiest surprise? Maybe thing something that you weren't expecting. Uh, I was not expecting for the Mavericks to get that much better defensively in a matter of two and a half to three weeks. That is they, actually really good. They went from what twenty second to fourteenth, or I don't know where they are right now after the Sacramento game. They're fourteenth uh, right now. Okay, that to me is the best development and biggest sort of surprise so far this season outside of obviously hey they're third in the conference i mean yeah i've been very surprised that dorian has played this well as a starter okay i like that he's played he's done well in the past for losing teams that were in a different stage but i mean he's playing legit minutes for a legit team right now and has he's been very very good that's a good i I was not expecting him to be this good i'll put it that way uh what's your biggest negative surprise <laughs> uh okay so uh let's keep going back and forth though so it's not me answering first every time okay uh you answer first this time. my biggest negative surprise is i thought that we talked about this last time i think i over anticipated how easy it is to come back from an acl injury when you haven't yep. played for two years so my yep. biggest negative surprise is man kp is good not great uh-huh. uh, but i think that was because i let my own expectations run wild more yep. than like understanding that this is very very difficult to do okay so i think that's sort of the way i would have gone but let me so it's a negative surprise uh let me just say that delon is not an everyday starter because i was pretty convinced your starting backcourt was delon wright me and too. luka Doncic. yeah so that's probably my biggest negative surprise, although I don't think it's some horrible negative. Isn't it weird that the penciled-in starting point guard and the 22-year-old all-star have both kind of struggled? and they're Not struggled, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And they're still 16 and 7. Yeah. Uh, not bad problems to have. Uh, what take did you have that you were right about coming into the year? Um, so far. I guess I would say that... Not to the degree that I thought it would be historic, but that the Mavericks offense would be a beautiful machine of perfect balance that teams wouldn't be able to stop because even though they didn't have their quote-unquote third lights-out score or whatever, they just had everything they needed to score consistently every single night. Either that or that, hey, this team isn't going to suck because we didn't get Kimball Walker. Mm. You know, Probably one of those two, I would say. Uh, I guess my thing that I was right about, even though it hasn't necessarily played out in terms of playing time, but that Justin Jackson was going to be a lot better. Yeah. He's been very good. He's been really good. He's been really, really good. Just hasn't been able to wrestle minutes away from guys who are also playing really right, well. Right, right. Namely Dorian. Yeah. Uh, what were you wrong about? Um, uh, I'll, I'll take this one first. Yep. Uh, I'm spinning this kind of in a positive way, but I definitely had negative thoughts about the team shooting coming in the year. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought that outside of Seth and KP – that they would, and maybe Justin Jackson, that they would struggle to hit a lot of threes. Uh-huh. Uh, I knew they would take a lot. 
I didn't think they'd be a top half three point shooting team, and right now they're like twelfth. Yep. Uh, and that's after a really bad game against the Kings. So before that, they were actually top ten for a while. Right. Um, but they've been way better at shooting than I suspected. However, even though Seth and KP are struggling, so like if everyone else comes down to earth, they're going to struggle unless those guys heat up. But you know right. what I'm saying. Right. Um, I think um, the thing I was probably most wrong about, depending on what time of year, like. By the end of preseason, I felt better about it. But going into preseason, I was like, man, we're going to suck rebounding-wise. I didn't anticipate Porzingis' numbers to go up and some of those stuff. So they're rebounding better than I thought they would. I thought it would be like bottom six or seven in the league type bat. They've had their moments, but for the most part, pretty solid. It's at least – it's better than I anticipated. And then I could say the same thing. Their defense is better than I anticipated. So it's probably most wrong about those things. Um yeah, I would say that. I'd say, and also, I really thought Seth would be a bigger part of this offense. Mm. Yeah, me too. Me so I'd, too. I'd say probably those things. Uh, what's gonna be the What's the moment so far that you remember most vividly? Maybe your your best highlight, best play. Just what what kind of what sequence, what moment defines the season for you? For me, it was the moment on the road against Houston where Capella got the trail dunk and Oblivion breaks out. And then Luke is just like, everybody chill. And then they beat Houston on the road after winning those four at home. And that was sort of the moment for me. I was like, this team's pretty good, dude. This is a big, big win. And then didn't even know they were going to go do the, the Laker game. But that moment where on the road, they let it get away from him. And then they said, that's cool. And they reeled it back in and won a very important road game. Mm. That's probably for me it. Mine are two. Okay. Unfortunately, both came in losses. But one third quarter against Boston, the final five minutes when Luka went absolutely out of his mind. Mm. I was like, I'm witnessing something that does not happen. Uh-huh. Uh, that was incredible. Um, and then the other one is Dorian's three-pointer against the Lakers to put them in front uh, late in that game. Yep. Of course, it should have been the game winner. It wasn't. But uh, that was an enormous shot, and it was very notable to me that not only did Luka give it up, but that it wasn't giving it up to KP. Yeah. Like, you have two all-stars on the floor, and it's Dorian Finney-Smith that gets the shot and makes it. And I was very, very happy yeah. in that moment that he made the shot, but also for him, because for him to make a big shot really means something. And so those go, uh, and the arguments we were talking about earlier where people are, don't want to tamper with this thing. I think you and I talked about this a couple podcasts ago. Luke has been teammates with Dorian as long as anybody. Yeah. And he's their guy. He's, he's KP's guy. He, everybody loves Dorian. They all love Dorian. And Luca believes in Dorian and builds Dorian up and gets the ball to Dorian because he believes in Dorian. That matters. Mm. That absolutely matters. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, you can take this one for yourself. Okay. You're very eloquent. If you had to boil down your impression of this team to one sentence – what would it be? If you were telling the story of this team to a stranger, what would you, what would you tell them? And if you, if you only had 30 words, I would say I'll go even shorter than that. That Luka Doncic is a unifying force beyond what any of us could have imagined. And the reason I'm saying it like that is because one of the things that just really stood and this is I've stopped talking about my friend. I'm, I'm okay, expanding yeah. on the phrase now. This is, that is still one sentence. Yeah, but that's one. This is the this is the subtext of the sentence. So okay. this is unrelated now. Um, it's it's when you're playing or you're around greatness, you feed off of that greatness, especially if that greatness is invested in you. And I still think one of the most extraordinary moments of the year was the first home game against Washington, Tim Hardaway Jr. goes up to block a shot, and he lands and he twists his ankle. 
and Luka Doncic is sitting on the on the bench in sweats, and he's the first person down there to lift Tim Hardaway Jr. up. He's there before Casey. He's there before the guys on the floor. He was so dialed in and so invested in his teammates that he ran down there to check on his on his boy. And that stuff, like Harp is a guy that really made me understand this because Harp will watch. He pays a lot of attention to huddles during timeouts and gets reads on teams, our teams, other teams. Boy, because he, he's walked back to that huddle and he's walked back into icy environments and he's walked into loving environments and he knows what it means. And so not only is Luca exceptional and makes everybody better on the floor, Luca is the hub of this thing in ways beyond he's dancing on your heads in a pick and roll. There's those back to this intangible word. There's other ways that it manifests itself that lifts everybody up. So I guess I would say the way I would define this team is that I'll, I'll add one more word. Uh, already at this age, Luka Doncic is a unifying force beyond what any of us could have imagined. When you're as good as he is, there are two ways it can go. Either you galvanize everybody around you mm-hmm. or you can kind of become alienated, whether it's because of your own actions or because of jealousy or numerous reasons, yep. salary, anything. Yep. And right now it's pretty clear which, which side – the, the team has chosen absolutely they're in it they're they're in it together it'd be is, really awesome. it'd be real easy for poor zingas to be a problem right now it would be and in a bad environment poor zingas could be a real problem instead mm-hmm. he's like man we're winning i'm playing with a badass i'm not even back to where i am yet we're winning i've made the right decision he's an all-star making max money struggling on offense and he's the best defensive player on the team yeah. by far it's been huge and that, that, to me, might be the, the storyline of the season that I think matters most. Yep. He's not played up to his own expectation, and he is still kicking everybody's ass every single day on defense. And while uh, it's not our expectation, I would remind everybody that every year, Rudy Gobert is at least kind of in the MVP conversation because of a defensive impact. Yep. And so for that guy to be doing that while he's struggling for this team matters a lot. Yep. Dude, it's good times, man. This yep. is a good show. Yeah. This is a very good show, Skin. Yep. I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Uh, thank you all for listening. It is Numbers on the Boards. We will be back next week sometime before the holiday season. Enjoy it with your family. Enjoy some Mavs basketball. We're out of here. See ya.